Welcome back to Don't Call It a Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Dan. This is our second episode covering the lies of Lac Lamora. Let's okay. Let's tell let's tell the listeners where we have stopped because it's kind of in an unorthodox place. Yeah. So we're into part three. We just finished chapter ten. Right. So we'll we'll be talking about everything up until then. And, ladies and gentlemen, I am already warmed up. <laughs> yep, we're not doing a warm-up for this. I think both me and Dan finished this, like, finished this reading section like an hour ago. So, I'm am- I'm pretty amped up about it. This book is fucking crazy, Luke. <laughs> right. Uh, when I, okay, so, my I, when I was reading this, I was like, okay, the first thing I'm going to say to Dan is... Dan, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> because oh, this book flew off the rails. Right. I mean, the first half or so was already pretty fast paced. Mm-hmm. I could I could tell that it was it was I guess a plot driven book where things were happening every chapter, mm-hmm. and it somehow took a notch up. In in the last in the most recent like two hundred pages or so, I I don't know how it can go up from here. I have no idea what will happen that will top what yeah, has just happened. We we still have two hundred pages left. I know, Luke. <laughs> it's freaking insane. <sighs> okay, so a, a lot of crazy shit happened. Right, they met the Grey King. Locke got locked in a barrel. Nazca died, Locke almost died, the twins died, Bug died. They burned down the basement of the temple and Locke swore vengeance on the Grey King and everyone associated with him. Yeah. Also, we learned who the spider actually is. <laughs> right, which seems completely irrelevant yeah. now. <laughs> right, the spider's like, hey, we're going to catch him in their next step on this plot. It's like, I don't think they're going to be there lady yeah it's like i we don't i don't even know what you're gonna be fine this doesn't matter at all oh jeez. so my prediction about the gray king or no my prediction about the conflict so wrong <laughs> well okay i will say you had the little bird thingy correct yes but Which I, I i don't know if we're giving you that much credit for that because i think that's kind of obvious yeah we shouldn't but <laughs> Honestly, for when I was first reading this, I was kind of like, uh, it would be crazy if the Grey King turned out to be this woman. And she was, you know, we, we, we've had a lot of evidence of disguises being very successful mm-hmm. in this book. So I, part of me was really hoping that the Grey King would end up being, I forget who the, what the woman's name is, but the woman that you predicted yeah. from last episode. Yeah. I don't think that's the case. No. <laughs> it's not Luke I have your prediction for the Grey King and I'm hoping that it's not true actually okay so the Grey King is older than Locke right right and when Locke first meets the Grey King he says there's a hint of recognition he he seems familiar if the Grey King is Locke's dad I'm gonna be a little upset <laughs> fair that would be that would be wild. Honestly, right? That's that. So that's my official prediction for who the Grey King is. I think it's Locke's dad. I hope I'm not right. Okay, let me just say, I read a little bit farther than Dan on this section, and I know who the Grey King is. Oh, Luke! I'm not going to give anything away. Don't, I just don't. This doesn't really add anything to the podcast. I just want you to know that i know okay well you know what I, mean? I i hope i'm wrong i hope it's not Locke's <laughs> dad but i will say i freaking love how this book reveals mystery and things like that i love how when they did the midnighters thing and i was thinking it would be so cool if this was Locke and the gang and then it was Locke and the gang i really appreciated that because they didn't let it drag on for a long time and then have this mm-hmm. big cool reveal that happened later it was just like a cool reveal right now like give it to me now right yeah and the same thing with the spider like it it wasn't a character that anybody had known before ever 
and they introduced this new character and then immediately revealed, oh yeah, she's the spider. And I, I love that it's giving you that satisfaction. It's giving you that, that reveal right when a character or right when a thing happens because instead of instead of waiting to build everything until the end and give you like 10 rapid fire reveals or something yeah exactly exactly i like how you have this cool reveal that happens throughout the story which is just so it's great i love it right yeah (laughs) um okay let's let's start at the beginning of this section Mm mm-hmm and I've got a couple dumb things. Surprise. There's, okay, this this first one isn't a dumb thing, necessarily. I just wanted to say, we, we were pretty spot on in the last episode when we talked about the fact that they definitely just steal for the fun of it. Oh, yeah. Because early in this episode, it talks about they have like 45,000 crowns or something, and they can't they can't spend it. Right. They just can't, like, if they did, they would... Everyone would be like, why, the, why are you guys spending so much? So they just can't spend it. So there's no purpose in them actually stealing more. Yeah. It's literally just so, yeah, for fun. It's literally just they're coming up with cool ideas to do. And that's just, I don't know, that's just what they do for fun, I guess. I Yeah, it's it makes it so much cooler. It make, Honestly, the Gentleman Bastards are the freaking coolest gang I've ever heard of. Because they're just stealing from a bunch of super wealthy nobles. People that you know, kind of are asking for it. And they're not, they're, they're outwitting everybody. Well, they, they were for a while. Right. And they were doing it just because it was fun. And they were living like freaking kings under the temple just because they wanted to. They could. <laughs> Damn, bastards. So we get a lot of the interludes in this. Mm-hmm. And it's always Father Chain's basically going like setting them up for some crazy new training and it's clear i think at one point he says that training them is basically his life work and i think it's just kind of funny because he's not training them for some crazy task that he specifically has in mind he's just training them to be really good at being i guess high class thieves and it's just funny because that turns out to them, they're just really good thieves and they can't, do, they can't do anything. Like he trains them for all of these things to be ready in all these scenarios, right? Yeah. And which is awesome, but they can't do anything with it because except for this, because like, I don't know, they, they just, that's what they do. I don't know. <laughs> right. He, he essentially makes them the the greatest axes in the world and there's like four trees around right exactly (laughs) and they've chopped up all the trees into the tiniest little pieces that they could and now they're kind of stuck without anything to do yeah that's a good analogy but i mean it's fun to watch them do crazy stuff i guess see i i have been always expecting there to be a reveal for what father chains was training them to do so i have been too so either he at some in one of the interludes he's going to explicitly tell them what mission he's kind of training them for and what goal they're working towards or it's going to be something where he is kind of being a puppet master and he's trained them for this thing that they don't even know what it is but he knows that after all this training they're going to be able to do it and they're going to figure it out on their own and do it on their own um and I think it has something to do with the class division in this society where the Dukes just hold so much more power over the common people because that's the that's the truce that they're breaking with all this thievery is they're breaking the truce between the rich and the kind of poor, but the overlords who steal from all the poor people. And so they're breaking this truce between them. And so it seems like... It seems to me like Father Chains is going to be trying to upset the class dynamic in this city with these gentle sure. bastards. Sure. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what it reminds me of. Mm-hmm. You've played Skyrim. I'm assuming <laughs> oh, yeah. a lot of our listeners have played Skyrim. It reminds me of when you go off to do all the side quests, 
and you're like building up all of your levels. You're really good at all these things. You've got like a hundred speech, a hundred like one handed sneak through the roof. And you've got all these enchanted weapons that are dope. And then finally you come back to the main quest and they want you to like go kill like three guys or something. And you just do it in like two seconds because everything's super easy. That's what I'm picturing this as being. Right, right. Where all of these, the gentlemen of Astros are way cooler than anybody else in this world right now. And well, I mean, we're now seeing the top tier that the gentlemen bastards are designed in a way to deal with, though, which are the Grey King, somebody like the Grey King, and the Spider. Right. I feel like these are the true threats to the gentlemen bastards, as we've already seen when the Grey King just murdered the twins and Bug with like pretty like relative ease and almost got Gene and. Uh, yeah, it's it seems like the the only reason he didn't get Gene and Locke Locke is because he was busy doing other stuff, so we could only send one guy. Yeah. So, okay, I will say, I feel like he's getting so much credit for all of these things he's doing when really it's just the magician guy. Yeah, it's the fucking wizard. The, yeah, the great so thing. Is not that cool right now. Okay, here's here's what I'll say about the Great King. The same way that we're kind of revering Locke for his schemes and planning, I think that's the Great King's skills. For sure. But, so, okay, we should give him credit for that. But then it's just, you, he cheated. Like, you can't, that doesn't count. Right, he because... hired he hired a wizard that you can't kill. You can't. And there's no other wizards. Yeah, well, I mean, 100%, he's fucking cheating, and this is absurd. <laughs> this, okay, this gets to something that I want to talk about. They, Locke has the initial meeting with the Grey King and the Wizard, and he realizes how powerful the Wizard is because he sees the little three rings on the Wizard's wrist that indicate he's very powerful. And the Wizard kills Nazca with the Scorpion Hawk, and Locke decides it's a good idea to light the candle and call the wizard in so he can yell at him for a little bit. <laughs> right. I I just don't understand why... Okay, Locke is the cleverest out of the Gentleman Bastards. He's the one who puts the schemes together and is able to piece through all this stuff. And he doesn't really have a... It, it doesn't seem like he has a plan when he calls the wizard in. He just wants to yell at him for how mad he is that he killed Nazca, or Nazca, Nazca. Na- I I've been going Nazca. All right, Nazca. Yeah, to the to this point, it seems like, like yes, he wants to just yell at him, and I think the main reason to call him is to tell him that he has to be part. Of, he has to be on the other side too. And then the wizard's like, just find a way out of it. Which which and is Locke what I was to, thinking. Locke has to say, like, oh, okay, I guess so. Right. Locke, why'd you call... You knew that was going to be the answer. Why'd you call him? Exactly. What are you doing, Locke? Uh, I, this, this is the frustrating thing about these chapters, was it seems like this is where Locke's kind of critical reasoning has been overcome by his like emotion about the situation because i mean gray king is fucking with Locke right now pretty bad right like he's yeah. killing his friends he's setting everything on edge he's not really making it easy for Locke to reason stuff through but the thing with the wizard wasn't a great move unless i i kept waiting for Locke to say that he had learned some new piece of information about the wizard after that encounter like now i know his weakness is He's, I don't know, he's got a big tummy. <laughs> yeah. But he didn't. He just was like, yeah, I got the shit kicked out of me for a little while. So that's not going to work. <laughs> and the same thing happened when he was agreeing to this whole shit show. Of, 
he put a lot of trust in the Grey King that he was actually going to do what he said he was going to do. Exactly, yeah. And throughout the encounter, I was like, Locke, you're putting yourself at a lot of risk right now for a promise from a dude who's murdered a bunch of other people. And I get, I get that they were definitely coerced into it, and the Bonds Mage definitely made it hard for them to kind of disagree to go against the Grey King's wishes. But, so, dying isn't necessarily the worst thing that can happen. Now, right. this could be open to a little bit of interpretation, but, so, if the plan had gone how the Grey King wanted, Locke would be, Locke and all of Locke's friends would be dead, and the Grey King would probably be able to fulfill their plans fully, and everything would be fine. For the Grey King, if Locke didn't do what the Grey King wanted, yeah, him and his friends would probably still be dead. But the Grey King probably wouldn't be able to do this big master plan that involved Locke heavily. And so it was just kind of, I don't know, it just seemed like, at the very least, Locke should have said, okay, we should leave immediately. Right, so, okay, there's... Locke kind of acknowledges this at the end of the section that we read where I think he's like holding Bugs' dying body and he's like, this is all my fault. Like, we should have left. To which, like, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and they're all reassuring him, which they should, I guess. Yeah. Because if they didn't, that would be horrible. Oh. They're all reassuring him. Gene is reassuring him because he's the only freaking one left. Well, Bug does and... too. Right before Bug dies, he's he says he's not going to blame Locke for this. Right. And I think it it comes down to the fact that Locke and them all think that they're, justifiably think that they're the smartest and the best at everything that they do. Because they have been. Right. They give that toast right before this whole shit gets started, where they're basically saying, we're the smartest and the cleverest and the best, and we're going to get out of it no matter what. Right. And now they're seeing the consequences of that ideology. Which is very Locke's character, right? This is something that Father Chains Father Chains warned him about, was that your schemes are going to get somebody killed if you're not careful. Yeah. And damn. <laughs> this is always the thing with me for reading these kinds of books, where I always can you can you know you can see in advance the right decision. We could probably. T- I don't know about you. I was, when I was reading this, was thinking you should, you guys should just leave because who even, ca- who, why do you care? Take your 40,000 gold crowns that you can't even spend and leave. And I was thinking like, it would be really cool to see them out in the country doing crazy stuff. And in my head, I have the idea that I really want to see that. But that's because I'm the kind of person that likes reading overpowered characters that just pwn everybody so if things happen the way i wanted them to it'd be a terrible book (laughs) right i was not where you are at all i was right i was with them and i was thinking i want them to just completely fuck up the gray king and keep just like i was of the sense i was as confident as they were Oh, okay. I was not... I I didn't think that they would have trouble. I thought this would be a new hijinks that they would get into, and Locke would be able to figure out this clever plan to make everything work. That's where I was. Okay. But I was getting... I was getting worried, because Locke wasn't coming up with a plan about the Grey King. Locke was being played for a while, and it was... I was getting more and more nervous as the event got closer for what he was going to go do. And this is actually another reason that I freaking love this book is that Locke isn't a genius who is way more powerful than everyone, right? Locke is smarter than most people, but Locke got very seriously duped here. And he wasn't even the one who got everybody out of it. 
Gene kind of solved everybody's problems. And Gene is seen as the, I mean, they're all super smart, but Gene isn't the brains of the operation. And he is able to really like to really shine in these chapters, which I very much appreciated. So let me go. Okay. So we briefly mentioned locks or their, their big toast the way they're all getting hyped about each other, that kind of thing. And there's also another time earlier, I think when they're deciding whether or not to leave and Locke does this really, does this speech where he's essentially talking about how great they are and they can do anything. And I was just thinking like, I would be so easily convinced by this kind of speech because I was in the moment, right? I'm guessing you were too. Oh, absolutely. Like I said before, I was so sold. So that was, okay, that was a little early on in this section and I was very sold. But like I said, as it got farther away, I was kind of thinking, uh, you, you don't really have an out in this. So I was rooting for them to leave and for them to just, live it up in the countryside. I see. Okay. I wanted the rest of this book to be them just finding crazy ways to spend their money. <laughs> I don't actually want that, but you wanted this book to turn into the most expensivest shit with two chains, the YouTube channel where he's just going and finding the most expensive thing in a specific category. I think in one of them, he, he found the most expensive toothbrush and used it and so you just wanted this book to turn into what's the most expensive thing that we can buy right or just the most ex- the the way the craziest way that they can blow all their money which is why i don't write books <laughs> i mean it would have been entertaining for like 30 pages <laughs> right exactly here's the, okay i'm gonna take us off on a tangent in the same vein i so i watch i watch those like stupid little cooking shows a lot Love those. Love those shows. Like Chopped, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Holiday Baking Contest. Love it. Great British Bake Off. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a classic. Here's my thing. I don't want those shows to have really short time limits because I just want to see them cook cool shit. Okay? I don't want conflict in this. This is, this, this is how I feel about this book right now. Well, okay, to, uh, let me be clear. I do want the conflict in this book. <laughs> I'm not being stupid at that. But in the cooking shows, I'm just I'm just thinking it would be way better if you just gave them however much time they wanted and they came up with some dope dish and I could look at it for like a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I spent four months in the Andes working on this dish. It needs to be prepared at high altitude. <laughs> look at it. And you look at it for 30 seconds and all this person's work for all that time is gone after that (laughs) great i actually think okay so i think this okay we're gonna keep going for one brief moment on this tangent okay there's a show i've seen one episode of where they make swords it's it's basically the great british bake-off but for swords and knives and it's, it's i'm intrigued so they have a bunch of contestants and they all have to make a sword with or a knife with certain properties and then test it at the end. And they have like six hours or something like that. And the, these are my thoughts when they're doing this competition is give them give them a freaking month. Yeah, exactly. A great blacksmith isn't somebody who can really quickly whip up a knife. A great blacksmith is someone who can make you an, the dopest knife. Yeah. Also... So I will say at the end, the two finalists are given a week, I think, to make their dopest sword. But give them more than a week, though. Yeah, exactly. Give them some crazy challenge. Give them like a month to do it. That's what I want. Hmm. I mean, that'd, that'd probably be kind of hard with like weekly episodes, but... <laughs> They'll figure it out. It's TV. They can do anything. <laughs> okay, let's circle back. To just completely my point, I don't actually want this, but I kind of want it, where I just want them to do crazy shit with little conflict. Okay, moving on. I'm going to go something stupid, okay? They describe spider cages a few times, which are the things that they put 
criminals in. They're really uncomfortable cages that are hanging there. And they just have guys lift them up and down. Yeah. And that's the the guys that lift them up and down are criminals that have convicted and been sentenced to like hard labor. And their hard labor is to lift up and down these cages that these other criminals are sitting in. What a freaking waste of resources this is. This is absurd. Whoever, oh, whoever came up with this idea needs to be fired immediately. Uh, no, Luke, it was the same person that came up with the shitboat idea <laughs> that we talked about in our last episode, where they don't need prisoners to go around and collect people's shit. They could just throw it in the canal. But they, they, they have a surplus of labor in this city. Okay, okay, sure. Let's say there's a surplus of labor, which I think is fair. They don't need free labor. This is the stupidest freaking one ever. <laughs> they're just they're just lifting it up and down. Right? So Luke, this is not actually a waste though. <laughs> these prisoners are training. Oh no. And you know what they're training these prisoners for? What's that? The dopest amusement park in the fucking world. <laughs> You know what I thought when I first heard these spider cages described? What? These sound like the amusement park ride that takes you up really high and then drops you down suddenly. Right. And if they've got prisoners training to do this, think of all the nobles who would pay so much money to get a thrill of it being in a completely safe, enclosed cage. I mean, I'm sure when they have a noble in there, they'll put like a padded chair and strap him in. But then have like some prisoners just yank you up and let you free fall for a little bit. And and they're testing it right now to make sure it's not going to kill you by having some other people in there that they just don't care about. And so okay. I, I'm really excited to see what the other kind of punishments that they're putting people through. I, I want to see what the roller coaster looks like that they're pulling around. Maybe they have some people pushing a Ferris wheel. So you so you think that they're all these punishments that they've come up with are actually really productive but in a very unconventional way. Yeah, I think the duke is trying to create his own Disney World. Okay. And he's undergoing Well, testing. he's already got prisoners getting eaten by sharks and oh giant shit. squids. You know, it's not Disney World, it's SeaWorld. <laughs> That's the issue I had with this. <laughs> yeah, so they're they're preparing their SeaWorld attractions, complete with people getting eaten by the animals. That's you know what our SeaWorld our SeaWorld is currently us mistreating animals, so I'm glad to see that this SeaWorld is animals mistreating us. Oh no no Luke, our SeaWorld also has animals eating, killing and eating people. Don't worry about that. <laughs> you know, I haven't been to SeaWorld in a while. Yeah, Maybe that's I a good. Take visit. Nope, nope, definitely don't. <laughs> so at the very beginning of part three, the Duchess, I guess, I don't. Do, oh, Donia, the Donia, who we later learn is the spider, has tea uh -huh. with the Donia, who is being swindled by Locke, and so first off, the tea sounds really nice. And their mm -hmm. meeting is pretty cool. They describe the tea, though, as glowing. Right. And that the alchemists have figured out a cool way to make glowing tea. How come we don't have glowing food or beverages, Luke? I heard this glowing tea, and I thought, that sounds so awesome. Yeah. I would pay a good amount of money. Hey, any entrepreneurs who are listening right now, if you made glow tea, that would sell. You could sell that for so much. It could be the cheapest green tea. It could cost like three cents to make. I would buy it for $3. Yeah, I think that's true. Just any, any gimmick that makes tea look cool, glowing, um, different colors, I'd I'd buy it pretty easily. Like think how think how crazy boba sells. You're familiar with boba tea, right? Bubble tea? Is that what it is? 
I don't actually know the difference. If there is a difference between the two things. I've never, I've never had them. I had it once. Pretty good. Was it nice? I'll say pretty good. I'm a fan. Okay. Okay. But that's not even that cool. Like, it's cool. Right. Don't get me wrong. It's not that cool. But if Boba glowed orange, I, it could immediately double how much I would pay for it. Right. It would look magical. Imagine you have a little cold. Okay. Got a little cold. Got some sniffles. Someone brings you this mug of, like, glowing orange tea. And they're like, I mixed a little honey in there extra for you. Here you go. Here you go, sugar. And you're like, thank you. I'm feeling, I don't, I don't even know. I'm not going to actually get better because it's probably just some little nonsense in there. But I'm going to feel better no matter what. You're going to have the light inside you. Exactly. Luke, I also was thinking just now after we come up with our amusement park idea, this glowing beverage. Imagine if they had a glowing beverage at Disneyland or Disney World or SeaWorld. That would be huge new like that would make it so much more magical. I think Disney World and Disneyland especially would benefit from this because those two places are trying to seem magical already. Right. And if they had a drink that glowed at one of these places, you would get so many people going just to see the cool glowing drink that doesn't right. exist well, anywhere else. Well, I mean just picture all of the butter beer that's sold in the Harry Potter Area. Right, and that's literally just ginger ale. <laughs> okay, okay. Harry Potter fans, don't get. Please don't get mad at me. I know it's not just ginger ale. I don't want to get into this with you right now. But but they're tra- they're charging you twelve dollars for soda. Okay, that's all. I'm and I say. would do it. Okay, right. I've done it. I haven't actually done it. <laughs> it seems like a seems like a stupid waste of money. <sighs> no, Dan. Tweet at okay. me. Tweet at me, you assholes. Listen, I get, if I'm at the ball, I get Dippin' Dots. <laughs> Tweet at Luke and tell him how much of an idiot he is. Okay. To be honest with you, I haven't gotten Dippin' Dots in a while, but that's not because I don't like Dippin' Dots. I freaking love Dippin' Dots. And I don't get why they didn't catch on. Okay. This is, this is going to be my impromptu rant. They're fantastic. Who, why are we not funding this? <laughs> Luke, I never bought Dippin' Dots one time. There, do it, dude. Okay, next time you go to the mall, which I know is often. Never. Get, do they, I don't even know if they still sell Dippin' Dots in the mall. Get Dippin' Dots. Okay? Fine. Fine. I'll get them. That's your homework. If you're listening to this, don't buy Dippin' Dots. I'll do it and tell you about it, okay? Don't waste your fucking money. All right. I just, we need a glowing beverage in our world. Yes. We, it would not be hard. We can, we, we have fucking glow sticks that I'm pretty sure are non-toxic. I think you can drink 10 of those and you're fine. (laughs) At least I did it. And you seem to be fine, Dan. I'm just fine. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Don't, uh, I don't want to get sued. Don't drink glow sticks, please. I don't know if you'd be fine. (laughs) Right. We don't have a lawyer on retainer, so... That's important. Okay. Another tangent. I like our tangents, but we got to move on to more serious things, Dan. Mm -hmm. The serious thing that I want to discuss right now is I'm so glad that we finally have a fantasy novel that talks about the fashion implications of glasses because it's very much in this book. I feel like it needs to be in more books. Everyone's wearing glasses in this book. Yes. A, I feel like that should be more common in other books. And I love how much they embrace the fashion aspect of glasses. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, I don't know, I just think that's important. I think that's a nice little side thing. This is such a good point that I hadn't thought about until you brought it up just now. But... In all these fantasy worlds where they're coming up with cool magics to solve stuff, you never hear about somebody wearing glasses or even somebody being nearsighted or farsighted. They just assume, but if if somebody had glasses, it would be a notable physical characteristic. You would say when you were describing what they look like, you would say they wear glasses. In all of these fantasy novels, we get a detailed description of most characters, mm-hmm. most 
most semi-important characters. Right. Very rarely do I hear about glasses. And in all of the, like, yeah, all these worlds are built in, like, kind of a medieval framework, but they had the capability to make glasses for sure. Okay, here's my, here's what I want. I did a rant about this in our first Game of Thrones book series about people having mundane injuries that aren't discussed. It's okay to not have glasses in your fantasy novel because maybe glasses haven't been invented yet. I just want to hear about some dude that can't see. Okay? Or like, yeah, it, it could even be a cool part of the plot. Like maybe you bring it up at one point early on that he has trouble seeing at distance. But, you know, nobody knows how to fix that. So he just has he just trouble. Deals with it. And then later on, the character has like this big discovery when he gets closer to something that he didn't realize before. <laughs> this is a tool. Fantasy authors, yeah. take note. Underutilized tool. And this is a small point. I love how stylish they are. I, I don't wear glasses, but I like that they've embraced the style aspect of it in this because a lot of the nobles and important people wear glasses and you know they're making these look good. Oh, absolutely. Well, and even like they have a whole shop in this, like they have a whole shop that somebody just makes the coolest glasses. Right. There's there's that part where, where young Locke steals some glasses for Jean. And Jean's like, I can't really use these because they're specific, but I'll keep the frames because those frames are dope. I just thought of why this book... I just thought of how this book is even cooler. They, they've got to have sunglasses in this book, right? Oh, for sure. So you know, as a disguise, at some point, Locke has had the dopest pair of sunglasses... <laughs> And gone up to somebody and just whipped him off his face and said something badass. At some oh, point. For sure. There's a real possibility that he could have pulled off one of these pranks, or not pranks, but heists. Yeah. And finished it by doing the little deal with it move. A very real possibility. Very real possibility. I... Shoot, I had not thought about them having sunglasses before, but there are definitely a good amount of characters in this book that have sunglasses. Yeah, because it's always talked about how terribly bright it is all the time. Yeah, they've got sunglasses for sure. I like to think the spider has a pair of sunglasses that... I mean, it's hard for like an old grandma to look intimidating, but I like to think she just fucking works them, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. a pair of like a pair of Ray Bans that you would think look goofy on an old woman, but she is just killing it. <laughs> she comes into an interrogation room dressed to the nines in some really fancy like dress and overcoat with some sunglasses, and like whips them off, starts taking off her coat. And she's like, "It's been a long day," that kind of thing. No, 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 no. She's in command. She comes in, whips the sunglasses off and says, what do we got? (laughs) That's what she says. She's in charge. You know what I'm realizing now? I think I'm describing Nancy Pelosi. (laughs) Are we? (laughs) That's who I had in mind. (laughs) I mean, maybe. I I don't know what Nancy's like. I've not met Nancy. I haven't either. But maybe. We should get back to talking about the spider for a second, though. Okay. The spider has this very secret room where she does all of her... She has all of her documents and all that stuff. And she sends messages to the Duke using her servants. She writes a little note, puts a stamp on it, and gives it to her servants. And they give it to the Duke. I guess... So, I'm going to assume that she really trusts all of her servants. Because otherwise, it would get out that she's the spider. Because at first, I was confused when she told one of her servants to send the tea and the cake up to her private document chamber. 
And as she's going through this series of locks, I just kept thinking, you have a servant who just did this. This is not that secure. And then, it, you know, after she reveals that, oh, it's, you know, I, I kind of trust them. I have them do my errands and stuff. Then she opens up a dumbwaiter to pull the cake out. So what is your what is your door even doing? <laughs> Not a very secure upper chamber if you've got a dumbwaiter that a small person, maybe a lock-sized person, could fit into and just say, ding, ding, pull me up. This is a good point. And you know what? In fact... Locke doesn't even have to request to be pulled up because she doesn't at any point pull up the dumbwaiter. That would make sense if maybe she had to be up there to pull the dumbwaiter up. Because then at least you know somebody's up there to encounter whatever's coming up on the dumbwaiter. No, Mm -hmm. the dumbwaiter goes up from the servant's quarters downstairs where she told the dude to put the cake in. You have a giant hole leading into your document room. (laughs) I don't have a rebuttal for you here. I just think it's a silly oversight, Spider. Yeah. You're so careful. And I love your zone. I love the Spider zone. Great zone, yeah. I was really sure. into it when she was ta- talking about it until the dumbwaiter opened up. And, and then I was not as into the zone. Fair. Fair. I think that's a good point. <laughs> I'm excited to see the zone exploited, frankly. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's got to be. Okay. God, I have so many I have so many little dumb things. Oh dude, hit us some okay. more dumb stuff. We've okay. been we talked for a long time, like serious discussion about we talked too right. much seriously about the book. Right. Okay. This actually isn't that dumb. This is actually a brilliant a brilliant thought that I had. Probably not. It's not actually. I've been throughout this book you know how there's that section when Locke is he meets the Grey King, and we already talked about it. He meets the Grey King, and he's like, there's something familiar about this guy. Okay? That's how I've been feeling with Locke, and I figured it out. Oh, yeah. Okay. Have you seen Princess Bride recently? Not recently, but I've seen it okay. several times. I think Locke is basically Wesley from Princess Bride. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wesley being the main character. Uh-huh. Because, first off, the way he talks, really sophisticated and that kind of thing. He's good at everything, essentially. Um, He's got a big guy. He's got a big guy to help him out. Yeah. I think it's mostly his demeanor and the way he talks. But there are some other things, too. So, I don't know. I just, I finally, it had been nagging at me this whole time. And I finally caught it, like, in the middle of the section. I was like, that's freaking Wesley from Princess Bride. No, it, it, I mean, it for sure is. Just the way he goes about his entire manner. He's very confident. He's in control the whole time. And he always right. has, like, a trick up his sleeve to get out of a situation. Right. So when we have Scott Lynch on the pod, we'll have to ask him if Locke is based off of Princess Bride. Oh, yeah, for sure. Or if, if he was inspired by it or, you know, because maybe he didn't even recognize that he was being, he was just writing The Princess Bride. Right. right. But I just, okay, just listeners, I know you've seen Princess Bride. If you haven't, you should really watch it. It's fantastic. Great movie. We used to watch it in my math class all the time. That's interesting. Yeah, that was that was high school. So... <laughs> Okay, one more stupid thing. Locke goes through... He He's having a rough day, right? One of the roughest, I would say. The main thing that I have an issue with is he goes through that part where he has to vomit everything up. You know, he takes that... He takes that poison, basically. Vomits everything up for 30 minutes or so. And then takes the antidote. He's feeling a little bit better. And then they and then they go ahead and head out. No, no, not even a snack afterwards. No snack? Are you out of your freaking mind? Make a little, make a little peanut butter energy bar. Give me one of those. 
It'll help you for the rest of the day. This is just poor planning, Locke. This is something you should know. If you're going to be starving the rest of the day, you're going to be off your game. Get some calories in you. This is, you need it. This is exactly my problem with this. You don't know what's waiting for you. You have no idea what's waiting for you in that in that room. But you know what? Way better to meet that with a full stomach than an empty stomach, Locke. Right. I'm not saying sit down and have a full meal because you're in a hurry. But I, you've talked about how you're fantastic at whipping up cool meals. There's, there's no way that you guys haven't been perfecting your little energy bar recipe. Yeah. I know you have these in, the back, in your back pockets all the time. You know what else they have? Freaking apples. Gene was munching down an apple like five chapters ago. <laughs> Bring an apple. Yeah. No apple? That would, that would work too. Oh, I really need their energy bar recipe though, because I'm sure that that stuff has got to be so good. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. It's got oats in it. It's got some peanut butter. Maybe some dates. Oh, yeah. Maybe some dates. Give it a little sweetness. Mm. Peanuts. Maybe some almonds. Almonds. <laughs> oh, those are pricey though. You got to have a lot of crowns to afford almonds. Listen, they're trying to spend all of their money. They're spending a lot of it on almonds. <laughs> Another shipment of almonds for the priests today? <laughs> yep they really love them over there they're um, on the keto diet or the what's the i don't know some what's the one where you eat all raw food some fad diet i don't know the raw food okay, diet is probably called the raw food diet yeah sure i don't know okay. i don't know what i'm talking about at this point <laughs> okay one more thing this is not actually that stupid and I talked about it in the last episode. And I'm, it's something that I was, I was very, okay, let me just say what it is. I was very against interludes in the first section. I have now somehow gone back and forth to both extremes since then. And I'm currently sitting on, I, I, I'm currently on both extremes right now. On the one hand, I freaking hate the interludes. There's the part where Locke gets, thrown he gets put in the bucket and he gets thrown down there and you're like oh is Locke gonna freaking die i mean obviously not but how's he gonna get out of it and then there's like three interludes in a row on the other hand the interludes are fantastic love hearing about young squad gives me a real insight into who they are now i think it really builds the world i don't know i don't know where i am on this I freaking love the interludes. I'm still 100% on board with the interludes. I think they make the story so much better. Because the interludes also really inform what's about to happen in the next chapter. Right. So we get an interlude about Gene learning how to use these axes super well. And then the following chapter, he just demolishes these salt demons, these spiders, with his axes in a super cool way. And we get... There's that chapter where there's that interlude where Locke wraps up Tesso in order to get him to submit. He kind of really like holds on to him and he's getting the shit kicked out of him. But he knows Gene's that gonna be there to back him up, and so he's doing that and he's just like getting totally walloped for it. And then the next chapter is the one I'm pretty sure it's the next chapter where he gets the shit kicked out of him and Gene has to bail him out of this like dilemma that he's in or he like holds on to something for too long it's just like to me the interludes are perfectly leading into the next chapters and i am so on board with them okay here's okay this is what i've decided the side of me that really likes a good book a well-written book and all that kind of thing really loves the interludes the side of me that wants Locke to go and leave and spend all of his money on nonsense and that to be the rest of the book, that part really hates the interludes. <laughs> so, I okay. I'm going to go ahead and say the interludes make the book much better. I think objectively. But they're sometimes kind of frustrating. Just a little bit. I get it, Luke. I get it. But Especially when we were originally going to stop at the end of part two which is right when Locke gets almost drowned in a barrel of horse piss. And I was like, no, Dan, we're going, we're going to keep reading a little bit because there's a freaking interlude next. Yeah, Luke texted me that I, I hadn't quite finished 
that chapter and Luke texted me saying, uh, we should probably read past part two because it's not quite <laughs> two thirds of the way. And I hadn't, you know, I didn't know when part two happened. So I said, yeah, okay, that's fine. And as I'm reading, I kept waiting for part two to end. And it was like, nope, not yet. Huh. Okay. We're at about 60% now and <laughs> part two hasn't quite ended. I don't know what, what we're waiting for. <laughs> I stand by it. I mean, I really wanted to keep going, so I'm not against yeah. it. <laughs> so, yeah, that was... That was an intense section of the book. Uh, we've got we've got about another third left. I don't know how it's going to take it take it up from here, but I'm very interested to see how. So stick or stay in for the what am I saying? Stay tuned for the next episode for the rest of this. Before we leave you, we wanted to just say, uh, give us some reviews. Write us some reviews on iTunes. You know, yeah, guys, if you're loving the show. Go on iTunes. I think you can also do it on Google Play. But however you listen to the show, if you could, you know, write write a little something up, um, at the very yeah. least, give us some stars. That right. would be great. Write a little something up. And you know what? If if we like it, we might even read it on the show. Yeah. Um actually, Luke, this week we got our we got our first review on iTunes. Yeah, I saw it. I haven't looked at it yet, but I saw that we got a review. <clears throat> yeah, I have it. I just pulled it up. It's it's having some trouble loading, but I'll read I'll just kind of read what's what's loaded so far. Um I mean, it sounds pretty good. Uh here, but I'll just I'll just read it. If you think that spending your time listening to the unintelligible squawks and squeaks of a pair of capuchin monkeys is a good idea, then this is the podcast for you. If, on the other hand, you appreciate well-reasoned and thoughtful analysis, don't waste your time on this drivel. Unadulterated fecal matter. Huh. Well, you know, I think this guy just just gets it mm-hmm. that we're coming at you with hot takes. And acting like dumb nerds. Oh, uh, the rest of it just loaded. Avoid like the plague, one star. Oh. Oh.